0: Welcome to the Rooftop Leadership Podcast. Today, I am coming to you from Daytona Beach, Florida, where I have the opportunity to watch my youngest son, Brayden, play high school baseball for one more tournament. This is it. This is uh, We're going to be empty nesters after this. He's going to play some travel ball this summer, but that's it. Um, all the boys will have... You know, done their run in high school, and and will be moving on. And it's it's pretty poignant to be sitting here, uh, looking out at the water, uh, reflecting on raising three sons, and the world that we live in, and and the world that they're going to inherit. And 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 it really is the topic of today's podcast, which is, are we going the right way? Because that's something that I ask myself a lot, and I'm sure you ask yourself a lot. And frankly, it's something that I talk with my boys a lot, is how do you know if you're going the right way as a leader? I mean, that's tough, isn't it? I mean, how do we really know? How do we know if we're doing the right things? In other words, what are the key indicators uh, to know if you are indeed re-emerging back into the light. You hear me talk about this all the time. I do believe we are on the edge of re-emergence from this very tough year plus as I record this of a pandemic and all kinds of social issues and challenges you know from polarization to distrust. I mean there's so much going on. So how do you know? And I get this question all the time. I you know I I coach and I teach and I train on purpose-based human connection in the corporate world, the military world, law enforcement, nonprofits. And leaders are always trying to to ask and answer that question. And I really empathize with you on that because I'm in the arena with you. I mean, I'm right there on the for-profit side and the nonprofit side taking on things that scare the hell out of me, frankly, and looking for ways to, to be as strategically relevant as I can and leave my tracks as a rooftop leader. And it can be daunting. It can be daunting, can't it? I mean, to really know whether or not you're going the right way. Um, So today, what I'd like to do is I'd like to talk about some of the key indicators that might help you know if you are re-emerging in the right direction or if maybe you're going the opposite direction and you're actually isolating yourself or putting your organization or the people you lead um, kind of back down into the darkness. And again, Am I the uh, exclusive authority on this? Absolutely not. But, but certainly my time, I hope, in uh, special forces working in, in trust depleted areas and, and at risk areas for many, many years and then multiple redeployments home where I went through my own dark periods of reemergence, uh, I do think that I can offer some insights Into what you might be feeling now as a leader. I'll also just, I work with so many leaders, you all, across the public and private sector. I mean, literally thousands that I would be foolish not to share what I'm seeing. And so that we can cross level that and share best practices and uh, blind spots and opportunities. So that's what we're going to do today. So the question again is, how do I know? How do I know if I'm leading my people back into the sunlight? Uh, The other day, I was having a conversation with a leader in the financial sector. And he's a pretty prominent leader. He makes really good revenue. He's very well-respected. He's very um, high level. He's an executive level, C-suite level. He's been working this level for quite some time. And, uh, you know, of late, he's really just been landing on the chest cavity of his direct reports. I mean, just landing on them with all four feet. And by that, I mean, really coming down on them hard in meetings and and not just coming down on them hard but then just staying there and continuing to kind of, you know, work them over in a way that is not helpful to the collective direction of the organization. Hold on, I'm going to take a drink of coffee here. It's starting to have an effect on morale. It's starting to have an effect on a lot of things. And so I finally had, you know, as this person's coach I had to confront them and just say, Hey, you know, I'll, 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 I'll change the name, Jared, uh, Jared, you know, uh, I've had several of your direct reports coming to me, observing and, and, and making observations and comments that the way you're coming down on them right now, uh, they're not even sure if they want to stick around and for sure, they're just going to stop telling you what's going on because they feel like that you're shooting the messenger every time. And Jared looked at me, and at first he was a little put off about it. I thought he was going to unload both barrels on me as well. Um, but he said, well, tell me more about that. And I, and I continued to lay it out. And, he, and, and this look, was, at first it was perplexed, but then it was kind of like a look of horror <laughs> because he realized that that, that that was indeed the case, that there was no way that these direct reports would come to me about this if it weren't true. And you know what he said next? He said, I didn't even know I was doing that. I didn't even realize that I was doing that. You all, I can't tell you how much I'm hearing that phrase these days. I I really can't. I cannot tell you how much I am hearing that phrase these days. I didn't realize I was doing that. I'm hearing it from parents. I'm hearing it from coaches. I'm hearing it from executives. I'm hearing it from nonprofit leaders, from team leaders in corporate America. And it's it's this just bewildered, Realization that the way they're leading is counterproductive and counter effective with what their goals are So what the hell's happening here? What's actually going on? Because it's really important that we recognize that this is a reality and by the way as you're listening to this It could be happening to you and it probably is it, Truth and lending it is to me you know, I've I've done some things in the last six months or so that have really been counter to the way I typically lead. Things have shown up where I haven't presented myself, my fullest self, my best possible self as a leader to my folks on my nonprofit team, to my for-profit team, and and my family, and the people in my community. and And, and it's it's episodic. It, it hasn't been consistent, but but still, it's problematic, particularly in the low trust high conflict times that we live in, we can't afford that, you all. And as we come out of this reemergence, things are already tenuous enough, aren't they? (laughs) I mean, things are already shaky enough. We don't need to make leadership missteps in how we reemerge that are going to put us at risk. And so, again, I go back to the question, well, how do I know? And that's what I want to talk about right now. And so, if you're asking yourself, okay, well, Who does this pertain to? Does this pertain to me? Because, you know, I'm sure some of those limiting beliefs are showing up right now saying, hey, don't worry about it. You're a stay-at-home dad. This doesn't pertain to you. Or, hey, listen, this guy's a former Green Beret. He's talking about, you know, people that work in elite teams and things like that. This isn't for corporate leaders. No, no. If you lead people, if you lead people, and that includes those of you without a title, especially those of you without a title, which by the way, I think is some of the most powerful, potent leadership out there these days, what I'm talking about pertains to you. Because see, you don't need a, a title to lead people. If I learned anything in almost two decades as a Green Beret, most of the time I didn't have a title or a position of authority that that postured me to lead indigenous folks, tribal people, partners. Interagency, Like, none of those people would have listened from that position of authority anyway. They had their own culture, their own way of doing things. It was only through purpose-based human connection and the ability to bridge across trust gaps that I was able to move people to take action they otherwise wouldn't take. In other words, what I'm talking about here is what Daniel Pink calls um, non-sales selling you know it's this ability to move people to take action that they otherwise wouldn't take and in and in his book to sell as human pink says you know 8 out of 9 business professionals today they're not involved in sales yet they are inundated 40% of their day at least with moving people to take action that they don't necessarily have authority over and he calls that non-sales selling and something tells me in your arena whether it's your life your business your community your family You are up against that. That's what I'm talking about. So if that pertains to you, if you have to move people to take significant action that they otherwise wouldn't take, then this podcast is for you. And we want to dive into how do I know, how do I know if I'm leading my people back into the sunlight? How do I recognize the things that, you know, I didn't even know I was doing, those blind spots? And and how do I run the checks? How do I run the metrics of performance and effectiveness to ensure that I am leading in the right direction? Let's start like I always like to start as a former soldier (laughs) with looking at the enemy. Let's look at the enemy. The enemy of rooftop leadership, which is the ability to move people through purpose-based human connection to take action they otherwise wouldn't take, the enemy of that is the churn now the churn is loosely defined as that collective tension that exists externally and internally between us and those strategic human connection goals that we're trying to achieve right it is that social tension that gets in the way of that and there's really three components to the churn and that's with churn with a capital c the first one Is the environment itself. It is the arena by which you live, work, and play. You know, the arena. We are all in the arena. Do you understand that? You may not think you are. You may not think you're in the arena, but you are in the arena. By definition of being a mammal on planet Earth, you are in the arena and you are competing every day for food, for water. For mates to procreate. Those are all biological drivers. We can talk ourselves out of that shit all day long if we want to, but the reality is, at a semi conscious biological level, you are in the arena competing every day to survive. Now, in that arena is what I call VUCA. It is an environment that is volatile, uncertain, complex crowded and ambiguous and it is getting more so every single day and if we don't recognize that in our arena then it will act on us in ways that we don't even understand next is the human terrain as a Green Beret I'm a big fan of understanding human terrain looking at the humans the relevant humans in our life as if they were terrain features on a topographic map And how do I navigate that human terrain in my arena to meet my goals on a daily basis? That's it. And the human terrain and the human nature that accompanies those human terrain components is absolutely critical. I believe that rooftop leaders need to understand the human terrain. Well, there is a component of the human terrain that really feeds the churn that really feeds this antibody to connection and I call it triple D it is distraction disengagement and distrust distraction is the goal interruption that we face both both externally and internally every day in this modern world is it is the reality that we are ancient brains in a high-tech world the disengagement is the lack of purpose that we have at both individuals and collective levels, organizational levels, and then finally distrust is the lack of social capital, the lack of tangible linkages regard you know in, in human connection that are creating massive trust gaps all over our communities, our businesses, our nations. That's the triple D. And they're all at epic levels. They're all at unprecedented levels that are making it very difficult to do what we do. And then... Look, you add to that the, uh, the internal component. The first, Those two, the, the arena of VUCA and the triple D of the human terrain, those are external. But there's also an internal component. And this is what Stephen Pressfield, who coined this term brilliantly, is called resistance with a capital R. And that is the internal negative energy that shows up between you and these higher goals that you're trying to achieve in the world. The tracks that you're trying to leave are blocked by the self-sabotage that shows up every day. That's the churn, boys and girls, and it is the enemy of rooftop leadership. And if we don't understand that it is there every moment of every day in what we're trying to do, then we're diluted. In other words, we're, we're in the arena and we're competing half-baked. It's the same as like walking around the arena with a bottle of Jack Daniels, just drinking from it and not really allowing ourselves to be aware of what's happening in the arena. If we don't understand the operational environment, if we don't understand the churn and how it shows up both externally all around us and internally inside us, we are irrelevant. We are not competitive in the arena. Now, you, there's a few other things I want to add to this as well that are in the arena. And that is the last, and this is this part is really kind of part of, um, it's part of the arena itself, the VUCA, but it's also part of the resistance stuff. And it is is the big three things that have happened since the pandemic hit a year plus at the recording of this. We have persistent fear, We have unprecedented uncertainty, and we have prolonged isolation. All of those are massive problems. Persistent fear causes us to go back to a primal state, and I think we're seeing that all over the place right now. People are exhibiting fear-based behavior in a really, really strong way. And as my friend Mary Millsaps, the trauma interventionist, says, if we stay in the heightened state of fear long enough, it always gives way to the secondary emotion of anger. And anger, as we're seeing all around us today, makes us temporarily stupid. It reduces our aperture for finer perception. Uncertainty. How much uncertainty is out there right now, right? You know, this goes back to VUCA, volatility and uncertainty. It's it's so much change. People are going through so much change right now. And as humans, as primal creatures, as ancient brains in a high-tech world, between you and me, we hate change. We hate it. Right. We talk about change and we can seek it out if we're trained and we're high performers, but the average human doesn't like change. It scares the hell out of them. And then finally, is prolonged isolation, regardless of where you come down on the pandemic mask, no mask or whatever. What I can tell you and Ivan Terrell and other mental health experts from the Human Givens Institute agree with this, the degree of impact on mental health from this social isolation, this social distancing of the last year plus are going to have tremendous tremendous consequences on how humans connect with each other. It's changed us. All of the things that have happened over the last year have changed us. It's made it hard for us to reconnect, hasn't it? I had a a very senior executive at at, uh, a a top 10 bank say to me, I don't know how we're going to come back to work. I don't know how it's going to go because people are in such different emotional states right now. Some people want to come back. They can't wait to come back. Some people... Are afraid to come back. Some people still have at-risk family members or they don't trust the vaccine. Um, and how are we going to do that? How are leaders going to take this very different state of people and bring them back together? Uh, it is going to be a Herculean challenge. And if we look at the studies from the 1917 Spanish flu, we know that it was least, at least a couple of generations before leaders were or people were, were kind of back on the same page. And there is just this kind of cumulative mystery uh, enshrouded in every single person that we're going to encounter isn't there you know i tell people all the time you know just going up to a veteran and thanking them for their service has all kinds of different outcomes i mean when you look at a veteran from the infantry in the army you look at a veteran from the logistics element of the air force a pilot from the navy and a, a marine corps special ops they've all had different journeys It's a cumulative mystery. Yes, they've all served, but to think that they've all had the same experience is amateurish, right? They've all had some have been severely scuffed up and have trauma that you don't see, and they're one step away from checking out. And then others, you know what, are just fine, but they're undergoing some minor stress from transitioning out of the military. And others are just super high performers that don't need anything. But, but the reality is it's a cumulative mystery in each one of those. And I think we should look at the veteran population and go, wow, what they went through in the post-9-11 modern war of almost 20 years, you know, we should probably think about how this is going to affect the last year plus of the pandemic nationwide. Everyone in the nation went through the pandemic. Everyone in the nation experienced some level of persistent fear. Everyone in the nation experienced some level of like constant uncertainty and change and every member of the nation went through some degree of prolonged isolation and and some you know and 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 loss and pain you know some people lost parents that they didn't even get to go to their funeral some people had covid and it has changed their lives forever some people are just fine and think it's a joke but the reality is all of those people are in our arena And we can't just look at them because they had a different experience than we did and dismiss them out of hand. That is amateurish and irresponsible, yet it's what's happening right now. And we need that's So that's the first indicator right now is we need to look at when you ask yourself, how am I doing? You know, how do I know if I'm going in the right direction? The first thing we have to do is we have to make sure we're not in that trance-like state of fear-based or anger-based behavior. How about that? And you've heard me talk, and if you haven't listened to that podcast, I recommend you go back onto the Rooftop Podcast menu and find the ones where I talk about distrust, bonding trust. I talk about the the trance-like state that we're in. Listen to the interview that I do with John Bell, because that's the first thing we have to do as leaders, you all, is we have to look at ourselves and go, okay, I need to understand enough about human nature, to recognize that when we are afraid or angry for prolonged periods of a time and we go into these deep you know these deep periods of, of emotional arousal that as humans we go into a trance like state that is the you know those emotions are the body calling for an action based on external or internal factors it's it's 250,000 years old hell it's a million years old and that trance-like state is primal, it is semi-conscious, it is tribal, and it can. it is basically calling for the action of fight, flight, or freeze. It engages the sympathetic nervous system. It reduces our aperture for broader perspective and human connection. And as Ivan Terrell says, and I said earlier, it makes us temporarily stupid. And so our ability to lead in those moments is vastly diminished and that's why with Jared you know he had allowed a prolonged period of persistent fear and heavy weight as a leader and 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 not doing great self care it finally took its toll he got triggered and he just started landing on his people and he didn't know he was in that trance like state We are emotional creatures, we go into the red on the emotional thermometer of that sympathetic state where our aperture is reduced to the size of a soda straw and anger makes us stupid, fear makes us stupid. So the first thing that we need to do, in my opinion, is step back and say, what's my emotional temperature right now? How often am I getting triggered? How often am I hitting the rails? How often do I find myself getting sucked into arguments? How many people have I unfriended on Facebook in the last year? How much am I speaking in whispers of moral superiority of those people? You know, those people. I'm hearing it all the time. I'm hearing it all the time. And that is a trance-like state. When we speak with contempt of our neighbors, that is normally reserved for the enemies that we face in our life, like real enemies, as Sebastian Younger says, or more plainly put, when we speak of moral superiority of another human being or another group. Like that is a trance-like state. If you find yourself getting triggered and, and rolling into fear or anger, if you find yourself wringing your hands all the time or in the red, where like the way that you engage people, you don't even feel in control, or if you're pulling back from the world, Right. If you're pulling back from the world, if fear is causing you to pull back from engaging the way you once did, you're in a trance-like state. And remember that leadership, according to Professor James Clawson and other thought leaders, is the management of energy. I think Peter Drucker says the same thing. Leadership is the management of energy, ours and those around us. And it has to start with ours. If we're going to lead into the light, if we're going to reemerge, we have to remind ourselves that leadership is the management of energy. And it starts with our own energy before we can manage other people's energy, right? And as a social creature, if you can get your emotional temperature down to a reasonable level, then other people will do the same. Right. So that's the first thing I want to look at is, you know, what is my emotional temperature? Am I in this trance like state? Am I triggered? You know, am I in, in, in persistent anger or fear or do I go to that place now once? And, and so what are some of the things that if you are doing that, you know, I say, look at the source of the triggers. First of all, you know, what are the triggers? You're probably knee deep in social media. You're probably knee-deep in the 24-hour news cycle. You're probably going to websites that are spinning you up. You're probably giving your power away to politicians. You're probably giving your power away to amateurish, divisionist politicians who make their living dividing people just like you from other people. One or all of those are probably in play, and I encourage you to step back from that and not do that. Remove those triggers from your life and take agency for your own life again so that you can fulfill on the tracks you want to leave and the purpose you want to fulfill on. It's very important. Now, another thing that we can look at, so that's kind of the negative side, is Daniel Coyle in his book, Culture Code, says there's really three things. He studied high-performing cultures all over the, the world. He studied, you know, Super Bowl winning football teams. He studied Navy SEALs, Fortune 100 companies. Uh, and yes, I did throw a shout out to the SEALs, and I always do. I love those guys and girls. Um, but it's just, you know, COIL's big three is, it for high-performing cultures, it requires three things. A sense of psychological safety, a deep element of human connection, and shared vision. And let me just go a little deeper on each one of those. Psychological safety. Do the people in your tribe feel safe enough to speak their mind without you landing on them like on with all four feet, like Jared did to uh, his direct reports? Right? In in the modern world, that's really what psychological safety comes to. Can I speak my mind without you shooting me in the face with both barrels? Now think about that in the world of social media today. Like if you sit down at a, a table and someone is like railing against Trump or railing for Trump or railing against Biden or railing for Biden, you're probably, if you are in the opposite camp, Of perspective you're probably not going to open your mouth because you don't feel safe and even if you do feel safe it'll probably be from a trance-like state where you're going to project your displeasure or your disapproval or your disagreement in a way that is controversial and, and riddled with conflict that's the world that we live in so that's what I mean by psychological safety do I feel safe enough to speak my mind and still be respected for there still to be civil discourse and for what I say to be considered. Like, that's psychological safety. And if that doesn't exist, then you have work to do as a leader. Next is human connection. Do I feel safe enough that if I turn my back or if I leave the room to know that the people on my team are gonna fight for me? Do the people on my team come up to me in a moment when I'm struggling, even if I'm the boss, and say, what position can I play for you? If I'm a junior associate, does the boss come up to me and say, what position can I play for you right now to empower what you need? If not, then human connection's not where it needs to be. And finally, shared vision. Excuse me, yeah, shared vision. What that really means is, is there a vision in place enough and strong enough that it unifies disparate in-groups and out-groups and individuals to get beyond their own divisionist agenda and rally around a shared future? Do I locate myself in the vision of the leader and see my own future in it with them? If not, you have work to do there. Psychological safety, Human connection, shared vision that leads to a shared future. Just ask yourself those questions. If you want to ask yourself, are we going the right direction? And have I created psychological safety in this room? Have I created a sense of deep human connection in this room where people really feel connected to each other at a semi-conscious level, regardless of political opinion? Do we all see the same vision and do we have a shared future in our hearts as we think about it? Aren't those cool questions to ask ourselves? And once again, if you think you need to be a formal leader for that, I will tell you I've got about three decades of experience where almost no, no what, at no point did I have a formal leadership authority on that. It was all by just moving by with and through the people I lead through using rooftop leadership. And you can do the same. But ask yourself those three questions and then can you put that in place? Another uh, thing that you can do is you're looking at You know how are we doing? How do I know if I'm going the right way? Is to make it about them. Really look hard to see the pictures in the head of the other party. Do I see the pictures in the head of my teenage daughter right now who I'm leading? If the answer is no, and okay, you go, okay, what does that mean? All right, let me get more specific. What do they want or desire in this moment? And what are the pain points they're dealing with? If you don't know their dreams or their wants or their goals and the pain that is associated with that, then you don't see the pictures in their head, which means um, you're not meeting them where they are you're trying to meet them where you want them to be. And that's going in the opposite direction of how we want to lead during a time of reemergence. What I learned in those rough villages of Afghanistan was, before I could ever talk about stability or any kind of connection to the Afghan government, to these rural farmers, I first needed to meet them where they were. I needed to understand what 40 years of war had been like for them. I needed to understand their sources of instability around food insecurity and how hard it was to farm and the impact the drought it had, and yes, the impact that we had had on them making their lives harder, kicking their doors down and jerking them out of the homes at night and violating their traditions and tribal norms. I had to see the pictures in their head. And if I am not relatable to their pain, if I am not relatable to their goals, then I am not going in the right direction, right? Um, and 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 the thing is, this is for anybody. If you're leading your kids, your spouse, do you see the pictures in their head right now, Right? Another filter that you can use to ask yourself, Am I going the right direction? is mess. Humans are a mess. M E S S S. -S. Meaning seeking, emotional, social story animals who struggle. Let's start with M. Meaning. Am I going in the right direction? Am I ensuring that meaning or purpose is integrated into what I do and talk about? Do I understand the meaning and purpose or why of the people I lead? And am I encouraging them to bring meaning and purpose into what they do? Is meaning and purpose clear within our organization, within our family? Big one. Next one is emotion. Am I managing my emotional temperature and am I keeping it at a parasympathetic state of calm and collect? Or am I in the red all the time of fight, flight, and freeze? Where's the emotional temperature of the people around me? Am I helping to manage their emotional temperature? The first S, social. Am I looking for connections? Am I looking for opportunities to connect? Am I leading with connections or am I leading with transactions? Am I thinking of relationships as strategic assets or simply a way to get what I want? The next S, story animals. Am I communicating in story? Am I communicating in narrative with our company vision or to our sales teams? Or as a salesperson, am I communicating through narrative? Am I asking people to tell me their story or am I asking close-ended questions? Am I communicating through PowerPoint or am I using story to inform my PowerPoint? The final one, struggle. Am I ignoring struggle and trying to pretend like it doesn't exist and talk about five easy ways to be great like me? Or am I inviting struggle to the discussion? Am I recognizing that struggle is a universal singular, it's part of who we are, and to omit struggle is to omit the biggest part of the journey Will people find you relatable. All of those could be considered. And I've got we've got tons of content on this at rooftopleadership.com. So and a lot in our podcasts and vlogs, and you should dive into that. But use mess as a filter to know if you're going the right way. Look around your community or your organization and ask yourself: is this organization or this community or this family, are we mostly bridging trust or bonding trust? Go back and watch my videos on this, short little videos on Bridging Trust, Bonding Trust, and I'll ask Wes to put them in this uh, episode as links. But if it's Bonding Trust, that's not good because basically you don't have a vision that unifies and you have in-groups and out-groups actively competing for status and resources. It'll rip your organization, your family, your community, your nation apart from the inside out. Bridging Trust has COIL's big three. It has psychological safety, it has human connection, and most importantly, a vision that bridges beyond any one in-group or individual status. Today's divisionist politicians and media leaders use bonding trust, rooftop leaders put in bridging trust. It takes time, it takes effort, but it's the highest form of social capital, and if you want your business or your community to operate for the long haul and not go down this path of shadow tribalism, you should ask yourself, am I building bridging trust? At an even more personal metric level, anytime you find yourself in an uncomfortable position as a leader, inside your organization, inside your community, I always wanna try to bridge instead of bond, particularly in these times of low trust. Bridge beyond your in-group, bridge beyond your race, bridge beyond your ethnicity, bridge beyond your religion, bridge beyond your economic status, bridge beyond your comfort zone. All the other leaders who are transactional and divisionists, they're bonding. They're just bonding with the people who look like them, believe like them, think like them. That is not how you create diversity. It is not how you create inclusion. Only by bridging beyond our in-groups and really seeking to see the pictures in the head of the other party, particular to their pain and their goals, do we have any chance to put in place a level of social capital that will really enhance our collective output right? Another way that you can look at how I'm doing is do people follow you because they have to or because they want to? If people are following you because they have to, it means you're probably a transactional leader and you're bringing leadership skills to this new VUCA, triple D, resistance churn environment that are not well suited to what you need. You're not using the rooftop purpose-based human connection approach and people are now following you begrudgingly out of reluctance only as far as they'll have to and then they'll turn the other way people following you up that ladder onto the rooftop because they're inspired because they feel empowered because they want to be part of something bigger than themselves they want to be part of a bridging trust community that's the right direction that's where you want to go And what I will just tell you is we need leaders like that. That's what we're building in rooftop leadership. That is the rooftop nation. That is the 10 million leaders uh, in 10 years, inspired rooftop leaders who are creating this bow wave of bridging trust that will overcome the churn, overcome divisionism, and, you know, hopefully do that upswing that Robert Putnam so brilliantly talks about in his book, The Upswing in Bowling Alone that happened in the early 1900s where leaders just like you and me looked around and said, you know what, I don't think anybody else is coming. I don't think anybody else is going to lead us out of this. Our leaders with the formal titles are divisionists. They are putting the people who are in these trance-like states into polarized camps and literally fomenting instability and turning them against one of each each other. I'm not good with that. I'm going to create an arena of bridging trust. I'm going to use these metrics here that we've talked about, and I'm going to look for ways to move beyond my in-group, bridge beyond my in-group, and really emerge into the sunlight with a level of social capital that we'll be proud to hand to our kids. This isn't pie-in-the-sky stuff. There's precedent for this. It happened in the early 1900s. I saw it happen time and time again in those villages in Afghanistan when we were doing village stability operations and I wrote about it in my book Game Changers and it is absolutely what we are building at Rooftop Leadership and I want you to be part of this journey. So I hope this podcast served you. I hope it gave you some metrics to think about as we re-emerge to put in play. Pick one. Pick a couple. It takes 45 days to build a habit but start leading. But the one thing I don't want you to do is wait for permission and if you need permission I'm giving it to you right now. Leaders Leaders with titles have failed us. We need leaders who step into the arena and see what needs to be done and they move people to take action one connection at a time. It's actually how business gets done. Strategic effects come from local actions, leaders who are trained. That's what we're doing at Rooftop Leadership. I want you to be a part of it. We need you. Thanks for what you do and I'll see you on the rooftop.